You're listening to Messy Jesus Business, a podcast about radical gospel living. Hi, everyone. I'm Sister Julia Walsh, a writer, spiritual director, and jail minister living in Chicago. Welcome to The Mess. At Messy Jesus Business, we explore how the mess of radical gospel living brings disciples into a life of struggle as we advocate for social justice, live simply, serve others, practice contemplation, and live in community. And now, on to our guest. Carl McCollman is a contemplative writer, speaker, teacher, soul friend, and storyteller. He is the author of numerous books, including The Big Book of Christian Mysticism, Answering the Contemplative Call, An Invitation to Celtic Wisdom, and Unteachable Lessons. His latest book, Eternal Heart, will be published in the summer of 2021. Carl's formation in the spiritual life includes training with the Shalem Institute in Washington, D.C., the Institute for Pastoral Studies in Atlanta, and the Monastery of the Holy Spirit in Conyers, Georgia, where Carl is a life-professed lay Cistercian, a layperson under formal guidance with the Trappist monks. After a career as a bookseller, Carl entered into full-time lay ministry as a retreat director, writer, and speaker. Since 2016, he and his wife has served as adult catechists, co-directing the Rite of Christian Initiation process at their Catholic parish. He is a commissioned Centering Prayer presenter with Contemplative Outreach of North Georgia and a spiritual director serving individuals both in Metro Atlanta and online. Carl also co-hosts the Encountering Silence podcast with filmmaker Cassidy Hall and theologian Kevin Johnson. In this episode of Messy Jesus Business, I talk with Carl about his vocation as writer, spiritual director, and spiritual teacher. We discuss his journey away from Christianity and back again. We cover the importance of having spiritual companions and the meaning of an anamkara, soul friend. And then we get into the mess of the Christian search, being privileged and human, and how we are called to figure out how the mess can help bring life. Lastly, we talk about the importance of rest and Sabbath for activists so we can be renewed and continue the struggle. Enjoy! Hi, Carl. Welcome to Messy Jesus Business. Oh, it's good to be here, Julia. I think I first got to know you through your podcast, Encountering Silence, and then I attended a retreat that was led by you on Celtic spirituality. Mm-hmm. And then I started reading your works. And anyway, we just became friends. And, and, and you're really doing a lot of things to promote silence and contemplation and to be sort of a, a guide, a companion to folks. So I'm wondering, how did you discover that this was your vocation? That's a great question. And I'll, I'll, I'll try to keep it short and sweet because I could talk about that probably all day. You know, I, I don't know that anybody, when you're in junior high and you're filling out a little, you know, vocation aptitude, Right. You know, that being a spiritual writer slash teacher slash, um, of course, we didn't even know what a blogger or podcaster was when I was in school. 
uh, slash spiritual director, that wasn't on anyone's map, you know? So this is something that, you know, I kind of have just little by little has emerged as my life path. You know, I'm, I'm somebody who, who loves language and loves story. Um, I, you know, if you had asked me when I was a senior in high school, what I wanted to be when I grow up, I would have told you a novelist. So, hmm. you know, now, now I write, I write inspirational nonfiction. So, you know, I'm in the same neighborhood, maybe not the same house, but you know, it's, it's hmm. been a, it's been a wonderful thing. Then I think when my own kind of intentional spiritual journey kind of began to happen and that really began to shape me and the fact, and, and I'm going to say right now, I, I just adore the name of this the word of door. I, I, I cherish love, really like, I'm a fan of the name of your podcast. Thank you. Jesus business is a messy Jesus business. And so it certainly has been a messy business in my life, you know? And so I think discovering that my spirituality, my own intentional, you know, journey of response to divine love has taken so many twists and turns and a few cul-de-sacs and a few dead ends and, you know, along the way. And, um, I think I was in grad school and I discovered spiritual direction and began working with a spiritual director, you know, which had just was so important to me. So it's really just been this, this lifelong journey of discovering how important stories have been to me, how important my own intentional spiritual journey has been, and how blessed I have been to receive spiritual accompaniment from others. And then just by God's grace, I've just been given the opportunity then to you know, accompany others on their journey. And it's just, it's, it's such a privilege. I'm just really happy to be doing what I'm doing. So. Mm, yeah, thank you. I'm aware that because I've read your, your memoir, Unteachable Lessons, that subscribing to the Christian identity hasn't been your lifelong experience. So would you like to tell us a little bit about that spiritual exploration and, and some of the, the messiness of, of finding your home within the Christian, the Christian community? Sure. Um, I, was, I, I grew up in a very, you know, white, middle-class American household, Christian household. My, my mom was Lutheran. My dad was Methodist. When I was a I was baptized as an infant when I was a small child. We were not churchgoers, but we did find a Lutheran church that became our home during my adolescent years. So Christianity is definitely my faith of origin, but it began, it, you know, my interfaith interest began in high school. Um, I got my hands on the book, Autobiography of a Yogi by Paramahansa Yogananda. And that book was a real eye-opener for me to see kind of a person from an entirely different culture, an entirely different faith tradition, um, articulate this incredible depth of spirituality. And, you know, if I, if I dare use the word of kind of mystical consciousness. And so, you know, it kind of caught my imagination. And, and you know, and I, I came of age in the late 70s. So this was the, the era of, you know, a lot of people were reading uh, Carlos Castaneda and Khalil Gibran and, um, Alan Watts and a number of, of kind of popular writers were doing this kind of interspiritual exploration. And then when I got into college, I discovered people who were really interested in kind of excavating and exploring the indigenous spiritualities of Europe. Um, you know, I am Caucasian, so, you know, I have European ancestry. And, you know, this is the, the, the world, you know, and all of these words are trigger words. It's the world of paganism, of Druidism, of Wicca. 
And, um, you know, and I, I, I guess for whatever reason, that kind of thing never frightened me. It just more intrigued me. And, you know, and I, I, I began kind of an armchair tourist, you know, I, reading books, but really discovering that there was a part of me that really resonated with the idea of a spirituality that was deeply um, kind of resonant or harmonious with the rhythms of the earth that, um, again, based in story, based in myth and legend, but also very accepting of uh, encountering the divine in a feminine form as well as a masculine form. So there are all these different things that, to, you know, to make a long story short, you know, by the time I was in my late 20s and certainly into my 30s, I was very, very much drawn into kind of earth-centered spirituality, shamanism, goddess spirituality, that kind of thing. And then, you know, there was about, I guess, about a six or seven year period that that really became kind of my primary spiritual identity. Eventually, I found my way back to a more traditional kind of Christian identity. I'm, I'm really kind of very much a garden variety uh, <laughs> Catholic Christian now. I, you know, I go to Mass every Sunday. I, I, my wife and I do the RCIA program at our parish. So it's, I kind of you know, have this interesting story, but I present as kind of just, you know, just this guy. You know, I, but I, I know that, that that journey shaped who I am today and shaped my my deep experience and, and appreciation for what, you know, so many of the great mystics have said, and that is that you can find God in all things. You know, I think it was St. Benedict who said, we believe the divine presence is everywhere. And I strongly agree with that. And so I, you know, I love Jesus. You asked me, well, why did you come back to the church? First and most important reason, I love Jesus, you know, and this is where I found Jesus. But I'm definitely the kind of Christian who, you know, who plays well with others, or as there's a t-shirt that says, prays well with others. Mm. You know? So, so, you know, I, to this day, I'm still very much drawn, uh, particularly to Buddhist spirituality. Mm -hmm. And I'm still very much interested in indigenous spiritualities from all over the world. Mm -hmm. And um, I just think that you can be, you can be devoted to Jesus Christ. You can be radically open to wisdom wherever you find it. And those two things don't have to contradict. Mm, yeah, yeah. Uh, thank you so much for for sharing that story and, you know, highlighting the importance of being in healthy relationship with other spiritualities and opening ourselves to the messiness of, of exploration and discovery. Faith is, is, is not actually meant to be a rigid sort of thing, right? Mm -hmm, <laughs> this mm -hmm, is, mm -hmm. you know, the, it's, it's not very neat and um, it's not like we get a how-to manual, but maybe it's about following the questions and letting the questions kind of lead us to the next thing and allowing our life to unfold um, as, as the divine leads us. Yes. Yeah. I know you now as, as, as a, a person who is really promoting mysticism. You used that word a couple of times and medieval mystics, you've written about them. And here at Messy Jesus Business, we're interested in what radical discipleship is. Mm -hmm. So I'm interested in, in what you, what you have to say about what the medieval mystics can teach us, or maybe modern mystics, right? <laughs> what can mystics teach us about what it means to be a radical disciple. Yeah, boy, we could we could have just a lot of fun. I know, right? Un unpacking radical disciple. I'll tell you a funny story. When I wrote my my book on Christian mysticism, I turned to a friend of mine who was a former spiritual director, 
he he moved out of the state, so we were no longer we no longer had that relationship, but we had stayed in touch. He was an Episcopal priest, but also a member of the Anglican Franciscans. Really, really neat guy. Passed away a couple of years ago. Actually started kind of an Episcopal Catholic worker style house up mm. in Connecticut. And, um, and so I wrote to him, his name was Emmett, Father Emmett Jarrett. And I wrote to Emmett and I said, um, I'm, I'm going to write a book about Christian mysticism. Would you be willing to give me your definition of mysticism? You know, I asked several people this question and his response always um, impressed me. In fact, I think I ended up quoting him in the book. He said, I don't know what mysticism is. I'm more interested in discipleship. Mm. And, you know, and my response is, I don't think there's a contradiction between the two. At least there, there ought not to be. That, that the most radical disciples, I think, are mystics in some way, shape, or form. Maybe they don't look like Teresa of Avila you know, or Julian of Norwich or, you know, Francis of Assisi, any of the people who we think of as the great mystics. And that goes back to what a number of different people have said, but probably the best known is Brother David Stendhal Rast, the, the Benedictine monk, who said, you know, the human, the mystic is not a special kind of human being. Every human being is a special kind of mystic. So this idea that, that, that to be a mystic, to be somebody who inhabits the mysteries is part of our common vocation as being human. And, and so the interesting question is, how do you meet the mysteries? How do you embody the mysteries? How do you bring the mysteries to others? And those questions help us to discern what kind of mystic we are called to be. You know, so the first thing I would say is that I think that mysticism, whether it's, we're talking about Christian mystics or mystics in a, in a global sense, they come in many shapes and sizes. And so, you know, we can have a lot of fun with that. Back to your phrase, radical discipleship. Okay, radical, of the root, grounded, earthy, centered. You know, discipleship, you know, one who follows, one who studies, one who learns, one who is radically open to being formed and being shaped. You know, both of them, you know, think about you are the potter, I am the clay. They're both very nice, loamy, earthy images. And, um, and so I think that, you know, to be a radical disciple is somebody who says, you know, I'm, I'm humble. I'm not, this isn't about me. This is about something bigger than me. This is about the good earth. It's about the soil. It's about the body. It's about relationships. It's about community. And, um, and, you know, and I want to be rooted in that. That's the radical bit. I want to be rooted in all of the above. And I want all of the above to form me, to shape me, and to, to help me to be who I'm called to be. And, of course, put that in a Christian context, then, you know, Jesus becomes the, the formator. The, you know, Jesus is the potter. And so, you know, I particularly open my, the ears of my heart, to quote Benedict, to the words of Jesus, you know, the words that give eternal life and the words that challenge us like very few other words can. So I suppose there's a way to be a mystic without being a radical disciple, but I have a hard time imagining it. I think, I think to find your own relationship with the mystery probably of necessity means finding your own relationship to your own body and your own earthiness. And that brings us back to that radicalness. And then, and then if you're in this, you know, in the Christian story, and that means being a disciple of Jesus, you know, in bringing your story to meet Jesus's story and to see what magic comes out of that. <laughs> you just said magic. <laughs> ah, yeah, there you go. You caught me. Um, magic. It makes me chuckle. <laughs> magic, mysticism, mystery, you know. Yeah, everything. yeah, yeah. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> 
You know, I think what I really appreciate about the way you're describing all this is ultimately the experiences of faith, of devotion, of being a radical disciple or a mystic of whatever labels we're using. It's ultimately about being fully human, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Are there any particular uh, saints who you've befriended through your studies and 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 spiritual life that that really teach us a lot about how to be human. Well, um, yeah, many of the mystics do in different ways. I've already mentioned a few that you know that are especially important to me. You know, the Spanish mystics Teresa of Avila, John of the Cross, Ignatius of Loyola. They all just, I think, they're they're so wise, and there's so much depth. To, to what they have shared with us, that, that I find them really meaningful. Francis of Assisi, of course, you know, with, with the, the kind of the combined, and I wouldn't just say that because I'm talking to a Franciscan. Okay. You know, <laughs> in general, um, but the combined commitment to the, the earth and also to, to those who have, you know, been the brunt of injustice and, and you know, and, and economic exclusion in our world. And, and, you know, and I think to be, you know, to be a radical rooted earthy disciple also means to be someone who is really just, you know, deeply committed to tearing down the walls that separate us from one another. You know, we talk, you know, think about the words we use today in, in contemporary uh, spiritual discourse. We talk about injustice. We talk about privilege. We talk about racism, you know, sexism, economic injustice, all of those kinds of things they all boil down to walls that we erect that divide us from one another. And, you know, that, and that usually seem to have the function to benefit some people at the expense of others. So I, you know, I think part of this discipleship is let's tear down those walls and then mm. let's see what happens. Let's see how the Holy spirit can bring us together and create something new. That's better than we are in our dividedness. So back to, back to the mystics. I love, not all of them are necessarily canonized saints. I really, just have so much, so much affection and respect for Julian of Norwich, the, the medieval um, kind of solitary woman, first woman to write a book in the English language that we know of, who had a 24 hour period. She was very sick, young woman, had this kind of series of visionary uh, kind of revelations, and then spends the rest of her life reflecting on them theologically, and then writes just this book that is just poetry, really very radically. Um, theologically informed. She herself says, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm unlettered. I'm not educated, but boy, she, she, she had street smarts then because just this very theologically sophisticated work about, you know, just how, how God, the divine, the spirit is just radical love. And to be in the life of faith is to be called into that radical love and to allow that to transform us. Coming closer to our own day, Evelyn Underhill, a British laywoman who um, wrote several books, not only about mystical spirituality, but just about spirituality in general. Just, again, very poetic, has a real sense that there's a deep relationship between spirituality and creativity. So, you know, and her writing just was really lovely. And then kind of the two bad boy mystics of the 20th century would be um, Pierre Teilhard de Chardin and Thomas Merton. Chardin, of course, both of them really deeply rooted in the Christian tradition. You have a Trappist monk and a Jesuit priest here, but also they, their mysticism is defined by dialogue. In, in uh, Teilhard's case, dialogue with science. And in Merton's case, dialogue with Eastern spirituality, really with, with 
global spirituality in general. And so, you know, bring those two together and then, you know, mix them up in a blender and out pops Ramon Panikkar, who just died a few years ago. And another, you know, he was a laicized Jesuit, but um, another person who really saw spirituality in terms of this deep dialogue, East, West, spirituality, science, bringing all of that together. And I think that's the cutting edge of where we are today. So those are just a few better shut me up or I'll keep going. <laughs> there are many, many amazing figures in his. I also mentioned St. Benedict. I mean, he's another one too. Thank you so much. I love that we're in communion with the saints during this conversation, my friend. Absolutely. And yeah, they're with us and they're teaching us, I think, how to work for oneness and be holistic and to really integrate all of our passions in a way that brings us closer to Christ. And yeah, when I think of all the characters you just described, that's, that's to me, the common denominator for all of them. Yeah, I'd like to, to unpack another word I've heard you use here and there over the years, and that's the phrase anamkara. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, it, it comes out of out of Gaelic, so it's a word you find in Ireland and Scotland. Really, kind of became more mainstream thanks to an Irish poet and mystical writer. I'd, I'd say mystic, named John O'Donohue, who passed away about uh, I don't know twelve or thirteen years ago now. John O'Donohue wrote a book called Anamkara, a book of Celtic wisdom. And so that really, I think kind of, you know, that was a, a bestseller in Ireland. And I think it, it did really well in North America as well. So kind of made Anamkara, not, if not quite a household word, just less unfamiliar to many people. One of my bragging rights is that I actually registered the URL anamkara.com before his book was published. So, uh -huh. so I wasn't just hopping on a trend. I actually <laughs> had already had that interest, although I spell it more the kind of the Scottish way, and he spells it more the Irish way. The Scottish way, it has an H in it. So mm. A-N-A-M-C-H-A-R-A. -A -A. He spells it with just the C, and then there's a diacritical mark above the C. But the word means soul friend. So the, the anam is soul, spirit, breath, that kind of thing. The kara, think it's cognate with charity or with caring. So there's friendship. And so it's, it's a word that, you know, nowadays is basically just kind of a cognate for spiritual direction or spiritual accompaniment. To be an Anamkara is to be a spiritual director. I found the word through the English writer Kenneth Leach, who introduced me to spiritual direction back in the day, back in the early 1980s. He wrote a book called Soul Friend, mm -hmm. taking it from the Anamkara. And, and he talks about, you know, the concept of the Anamkara in the, in the book as well. St. Bridget of Ireland is famous for saying that anyone without a soul friend, anyone without an Anamkara is like a body without a head. So really, you know, this idea of having spiritual companionship, spiritual accompaniment is really kind of central to the culture of, of Celtic spirituality, both pre-Christian and Christian. You know, so I, I just love it again because kind of the spiritual direction slash accompaniment ministry has been so important to me, both in terms of receiving it and also having been blessed to be able to offer it to others. But then I also love that the Anamkara uh, really does kind of flatten it out a little. And it's not just about, you know, kind of going to the mentor, to the elder who will drop their jewels of wisdom. <laughs> right. But, 
I mean, yeah. I, if I can just say, like, as another person who's a spiritual director, I want to do everything I can to help people understand I am not a guru, right? <laughs> like, you are not supposed to come sit at my feet and, like, soak up some wisdom, because if you are, you're going to be so disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> But, but you know, like, like instead, isn't isn't our role in in soul friendship and companioning folks on on their spiritual journeys just to kind of reflect back to them? And I oftentimes think about it like, and and I tell my my directees this: it's like we're going to go on a hike, and you're going to point out things that you notice, and I'm going to point out things that we that I notice, and you can decide if you want to talk about the things that I notice or not. You get yeah. you're the one who's deciding the route of the hike that we're taking and you get to decide what vantage points we stop at or, and, and not. And, and I just am here. I'm just yeah. here along for the journey. Yeah. I love the word co-listener. Mm, co-listener. Yeah. I, I will tell people, I'll say my role as your spiritual director, guide, company or whatever companion, my role is to be your co-listener. And hopefully the two of us will commit to this hour that we're together to listen together for the whispers of the Holy Spirit in our hearts, in our hearts and in the world and in our relationships, et cetera, et cetera. Yes, I'm definitely not a guru. I totally want to disabuse anybody of that notion. You know, truly, even the, the phrase spiritual director, I like to say the Holy Spirit is your spiritual director. Right. Um, I had a, a yoga teacher one time who used to say, hi, uh, welcome to yoga. I am your guide. Your breath is your teacher. Mm. And, um, and I thought that's, that's really wonderful. So, you know, to, to, to kind of borrow that as your spiritual companion, I am your companion, your breath given to you by the grace of the Holy Spirit will be your director. Mm. Um, yeah. 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 And it's holy ground, isn't it? Oh, totally. Totally. And of course, and I'm, I, I, I would imagine you have a similar experience. So often I come out of a spiritual direction session and I have been so deeply blessed. Yeah. You know, it's like just this economy of divine plenitude, you know, it's who's ministering to who. But I, I mean, that's true when, you know, when you're giving somebody something to eat, you know, or mm -hmm. it, it, there's so many different ministerial relationships where, you know, the grace flows both ways. It's just mm -hmm. a tremendous, tremendous blessing. Yeah. Which brings me to another thing I'd like you to comment on, which mm -hmm. is service and the works of mercy and mm -hmm. transforming the world into to a place of, of justice and bringing the reign of God here and now. How does the contemplative life feed that active life? Or are they the same? What do you know? I think you have to take kind of a big picture approach because I think everybody has unique calls. And, and, and in fact, let's just set aside contemplation for the moment. And let's just talk about the commitment to service or the commitment to justice. You know, the reality is, is that people will have different calls. Some people may be called primarily to economic justice. Some people may be called to dismantling racism, dismantling sexism, dismantling homophobia, uh, called on behalf of international justice, on behalf of working with refugees, you know, environmental issues, the list goes on, you know, human trafficking, helping, helping, you know, vulnerable members of society, you know, who maybe are, you know, have been, have been oppressed in their family situations, elderly, you know, elderly abuse or elderly care. There's so many different places where we need to serve. And it can be so tempting because every issue, the house is on fire everywhere, Yeah, right. you know, yeah. because, because, you know, there are people today 
who are suffering, mm-hmm. people today who need who need liberation, who need care, who need advocacy, who need reform, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so no one person can do it all. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like you, you know, and if you try, you burn out in a really big hurry. Mm-hmm. You know? And so I, I think to be a follower of Jesus, sooner or later, your heart is going to be stirred to the urgency of the, the suffering in the world and, and of the vocation, the common vocation that we all have, you know, to, to be of service to those who are in need and who suffer and who are the victims of oppression or, or survivors of oppression it might be a better way to describe it. So all of that is true. Now, back to, back to the contemplative. And, you know, one of the challenges I think a lot of people may meet when even thinking about the contemplative life is, well, gee, you know, here are all these houses on fire and the monks are off over there and they're chanting. They're sitting in their little circle, chanting their psalms, and you know, getting up at four o'clock in the morning and kind of doing their thing, and they they live all alone and they don't invite anybody into their house. You know, h- how do those two things come together? And I think that's a very fair question. And I think anybody who is embracing like a contemplative vocation, like becoming a Trappist monk, you know, or Carthusian or something like that, probably needs to wrestle with that. You know, am I running away from a vocation? that may be more directly engaged with service. You know, I, I think it was Saint uh, Basil the Great who said to the desert uh, mothers and fathers, you know, when you live alone, whose feet do you wash? Really, really important question. So, um, so I think, I think we, we have to reflect on that. But the other side of that, you know, you can, you can flip that the other way. If you are engaging in, you know, like really engaged activist work, working, you know, to dismantle, injustice or to, to serve all of the needs of the world without some sort of a contemplative heart to your ministry and to your life, that could be just the short road to hell. And what I mean by that is, you know, it's, it's more than just burnout. It can lead us to a place where our work is being motivated by anger and fear rather than by love. And I think once our work becomes more kind of immersed in anger and fear, then it becomes work that, that replicates anger and fear and mm. creates bitterness and, and creates kind of oppositional hostility mm. you know, between, between parties. Because the reality is, is when you get into the, into the places where people are suffering, you get into conflict. You, you know, you get into people with different political values, people with different spiritual values, people with different, different uh, beliefs about, about money and about justice and, and all of that. And, and it's, just, it's just too easy to get lost into the idolatry of I'm right and you're wrong. And then you, you end up, you know, putting off a lot more heat than light and maybe even creating more problems than you're solving. So, so there is, is a necessity for anyone who's called to any kind of work. I mean, think about the Genesis myth. Work for six days, you take one day off. You know, if you're going to, if you're going to answer the call to, to, to activism, you need that seventh day. And maybe you even need more than that. In fact, I would argue you need that seventh day every week. You need probably an hour every day. And then you need several days 
a couple of times a year, mm -hmm. you know, in terms mm -hmm. of, you know, and think of, you know, if you want to use traditional religious language, this is Sabbath time. You need this time where you pull back and where you, um, you know, to quote Jesus, you go into the, the, the inner chamber and you shut the door and you enter into stillness and silence and rest and reflection. And without an agenda, without uh, trying to manage it. Okay, God, you and me are going to get me rejuvenated so I can go back out there and do, do the work that I need to be doing. You know, it's like you, you, you enter into that contemplative place with no agenda other than to be still and know. Yeah. That, that is the agenda. And then to, to allow the spirit to operate within us, you know, at a level that is below the threshold of our awareness, but below the threshold of our consciousness. And to just be available for that. This will not undermine, undermine an authentic call to serve. You'll know when the Sabbath is over, when the, when the time is up, and, 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 you, and you will be rejuvenated to go back and to do the work that needs to be done, but to do it out of that place of love and of, and of relatedness, relatedness to the spirit, rather than just running on the fumes of your own anger and your own fear and your own bitterness at the injustices of the world. Back mm -hmm. to the people who, who give their lives to, to the, um, a contemplative ministry. Yeah, I think that when you do that, whether you're consecrated religious or, you know, are, are people who teach, people who lead retreats, people, you know, spiritual directors, I mean, all these kinds of ministries. My hero here is Howard Thurman. Because Howard Thurman, of course, was a ministry, spent most of his life either in parish ministry or in campus ministry. But he also wrote books and he also mentored people. He was not on the front lines during the civil rights movement, but he served the people who were. And so, so there are some people who are called into that ministry of serving the servants. I, I don't think that's a general vocation, but it, but it is a vocation for some people. And I think anybody who thinks that's their vocation needs to be in spiritual direction to, to really discern if that really is where they are called to be. But, but, but there are some who are called that way. So. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. And I also would just like to say that it's the mystery of the body of Christ. Some folks are called to hand out sandwiches. Some people are called to pray on their knees. And if we're all playing our part and doing our role, like that creates the flourishing of the community and of the kingdom. But it is ultimately be, like we have to be faithful to the, the particular part of the body that we are in that we are called if, to yeah if you're a nose be the best nose you can be right yeah. but then but then be a nose in relationship with the face and that's <laughs> the, that's the other piece that's so important mm -hmm. and that's why i you know i agree with saint basil you know we can't just run off to the desert and be hermits and just ignore the rest of the world mm -hmm. you know, the vocation uh, even like a, a hermit vocation or a solitary vocation has to in some way still have some sort of relationship with the larger body even if it's just offering hospitality but but in some way shape or form that that relatedness is the key mm -hmm. yeah amen Oh, Carl, thank you so much. There's been so much richness to this conversation. It's been a lot of fun. Uh, I just have a couple more questions. We've already talked about what discipleship means and as far as like the etymology goes, right? <laughs> but what does discipleship mean to you personally? And how do you understand your identity as disciple? 
Well, I think we've, we've been touching on this throughout this whole conversation. I love Jesus. I, 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 I would say I'm in love with Jesus. I yeah. hope that's not too weird for people to hear <laughs> a, a man say. I am too. <laughs> but it's just, Jesus means so much to me. His words mean so much to me. And I, and I fail to live up to his words. I don't love my enemies. You know, I don't do a very good job at loving my neighbors as myself, you know? So it's like his words challenge me. They challenge me to grow. They challenge me to, to be better. They challenge me to be on this journey of continual transformation, you know, and, and as an extension of being in love with Jesus is being in love with the body of Christ. And it's, it's, it's a complicated, you know, like Facebook, it's complicated. It's a complicated relationship. <laughs> the body of Christ drives me nuts too. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, um, you know, it, both historically and in the present day, there's just so much, so many people in this faith tradition who I so profoundly admire and I learn so much from and I'm inspired by and, and I see the light of eternity in their eyes and I see the love of God in their service. And, you know, and I, I just want to be part of that mm-hmm. despite all the frustrations. You know, when people, you know, decide they want to disaffiliate from church, and, you know, and I'm, I'm kind of like, you know, boy, I could probably tell you stories that would really make your, your blood curdle. I try not to, to judge. I mean, number one, mm-hmm. that's part of the job, isn't it? You know, but, but also understanding, you know, as, as frustrated as I get with the church, I understand why many people leave. It breaks my heart. I wish they didn't. I wish they'd stay in and work to make it better. I think, I think that's just the calling that, ha- that has resonated with me. And to do that, we have to draw sustenance from the people who become our heroes. You know, and again, saints, you know, canonized saints, that's kind of in an institutional sense. And so many of the canonized saints are just profoundly awesome people. But then there are also those who maybe will never be officially canonized, but they, they still have the smell of incense about them, you know, <laughs> and, 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 you know, many of whom are alive today, you know, and so we can, we can, you know, definitely be inspired by them as well. To give you a sense of my, my sense of discipleship. Yeah, it sounds like for you, discipleship is, is like listening to the community and allowing yourself mm-hmm. to soak up the, the wisdom and the inspiration, the energy from others, which makes sense. I mean, you're a scholar, you're a writer, you're a teacher. You can quote all the, the teachers. <laughs> well, and, yeah. and you know, yeah. in, my, in my parish work, yeah. you know, for any listeners who are, not, who are not Catholic, I do RCIA, which is helping adults who want to become Catholic. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, it's not, it, I, it's not a pressure sales or anything like that. You mm-hmm. know, it's just, but people who have expressed an interest my wife and I accompany them. Mm-hmm. And, and of course, to, to enter the Catholic faith involves what we call the sacraments of initiation. Now, somebody may have been baptized in a different church, so they don't need to be baptized again, but there's baptism, confirmation, and, and first communion. And so we accompany people. Well, part of Catholic theology is that these are means of grace. I like to think they're fountains. They're fountains just pushing grace out into the world. And, you know, God gives us God's grace lovingly, lavishly, and abundantly for the purpose that we pay it forward, that we then share it with others. And I I tell people, I say, I've got the best job in the world because my job is to help people prepare for the, the joy of receiving divine grace, which hopefully then they will turn around and share with others. 
And so th that's another piece of this, this, what does it mean to be a disciple? It means yeah. I'm going to drink from those fountains of living water because I'm so thirsty. And then it's like, hey, come here. Come here and yeah, drink with me, friends. Drink with right. me. And then let's mm -hmm. and that's then let's you and me find other people to come and drink. Yeah, thank you so much, Carl. I'm wondering for you what's messy about all this. Well, first of all, we're earthy. You know, that's been kind of a theme today, but you know, dirt dirt is messy. We're made out of clay. What was it? John O'Donohue said the human the human being is is clay in human form, you know. That, 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 you know, we're made of the earth, we're made of stardust. So, you know, so life is messy, life is contradictory. It's like thinking of this conversation, I know people, people who love Jesus, who are frightened of the fact that I spent years studying, you know, witchcraft and paganism, and that I still am basically, you know, okay with, I have lots of friends who are witches and pagans, you know, mm -hmm. I don't agree with them, but there's a lot of Christians I don't agree with 100%, you know? Yeah. So it's, um, so it's, and there's still a lot of, a lot of ways in which I do agree with my friends. There is common ground, there is connectivity. And that's, I guess, what I'm the most interested in. But it's just that messiness. It's messy to be human. You know, it's messy to be in a family where we didn't all vote the same way, you know, especially in this day and age where there's a lot of fear and misunderstanding between the different parties. Um, it's messy being a white man who has the privilege of being white and male and recognizing that that's not okay and that I need to be doing things both personally but also relationally to step out of that privilege. Mm -hmm. But I don't know how to do that. And women and people of color are not, they don't, they're not obligated to teach me. So I have to learn, hopefully in conversation with people who have been denied some of the privilege that I'm the beneficiary of. And in those conversations, we make mistakes and we say stupid things and we, and we do things that unintentionally hurt other people. And, and so we have those messes to clean up too. So yeah, so there's a lot of mess in this, but there's a lot of mess in being alive. And I think the sooner we can just kind of accept that and say, okay, when I made the mess, I commit to helping to clean it up or cleaning it up. When, when others have made the mess, I'll do my bit to try to clean it up. And when there's just lots and lots of dirt, why don't we plant a garden? <laughs> there you go. <laughs> oh, thank you, Carl. Thanks so much. So how can our listeners follow your work and read your words and, and learn more from you? Um, let me make a pitch. I do have a new book coming out in June 2021. It's called Eternal Heart. And the subtitle is The Mystical Path to a Joyful Life. And so the book looks at, it, it, it's based in the Christian scripture, the Jewish and Christian scripture. And it looks at eight different places in the Bible where the Bible speaks of God putting a gift in our hearts. So I collected these eight gifts together, to share those gifts, share my reflections on them, draw from the mystics, draw from dialogue partners in other faith traditions, and basically make the case that we already have a heart-shaped toolbox in our bodies that will help us to find joy and to share it with others. So that's the new book. That'll be out in June. Congratulations um, on that. It sounds amazing. You. I'm really excited. And, um, and so, yeah, thanks for letting me share that. If, if you just want to connect with me online, 
Um, my website, which we've already kind of alluded to, is anamkara.com. That's A-N as in Nancy, A-M as in Mary, C-H-A-R-A.com. And then the podcast that I am a co-host of is Encountering Silence, which can be found at EncounteringSilence.com. Thank you, Carl. Thanks so much. Thank you. God bless. invite you to join me in this contemplative moment. This is a new prayer for Christian contemplatives by Carl McCullman. O Holy Trinity, we come to you in silent prayer, seeking only to love you and adore you beyond all words and thought. Grant us the grace to long for you with such humble desire that we return to the fountain of your mercy each and every day. Foster in our hearts quiet confidence that we may know you and follow your will and trust in your steadfast hope. Lead us to the vast haven of interior silence that our distracted minds and anxious hearts may be calm and rest in your boundless compassion. Most of all, inspire us to love you fully and to love all our neighbors as we love ourselves, so that in us you may truly be praised and glorified. Make us one with you, for truly your beauty is our joy, Your heart is our life, and your silence is our peace. All this we ask in the name of Christ, our Savior, Healer, and Lord. Amen. That's it for this episode of Messy Jesus Business. Thanks for listening. Messy Jesus Business is produced and hosted by me, Sister Julia Walsh, and edited by Cherish Bedzinski. You can find us online at MessyJesusBusiness.com and on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Patreon. If you like what you heard, please be sure to mention our podcast to your friends and followers. And we'd love to have your support via Patreon. From the bottom of our hearts and the middle of the mess, Thank you. Messy Jesus Business is produced in partnership with the Franciscan Sisters of Perpetual Adoration. You can learn more about our religious community and donate to our mission at www.fspa.org. I'm Sister Julia Walsh, and I'll catch up with you next time. Until then, peace and all good.